Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our recommend or refute episode. You know the rules. We go around, we talk about a movie that we have each watched recently and whether we would recommend it or refute it. Uh, I am your host, John Garcia, and joining me tonight is Ryan King. Hey, how's it going? I try to make a joke about like us being two minutes after the previous one and like talk to myself, but I can't figure out. How to, I don't know how to make that work. We're one episode after the previous one. I don't yeah, know but how I'd have to talk to myself out. on the episode already. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what it could be. Uh, we we are not beyond the infinite two minutes. Yeah. We are firmly within We're the stuck. infinite two minutes. <laughs> I'm uh, beyond the infinite two glasses of bourbon, though. <laughs> that's true, yes. <laughs> so there we are. Good point, good point. <laughs> and the other voice here is Michael Dixon. What's up, guys? Excited to hear what you watched this week. Excited to talk about it. Uh, Ryan, why don't you kick us off? I hear you've got something good for us. Something from the Disney factory. Oh, no. Yeah, the, the, the giant Disney factory. I've watched a lot of movies in theaters this year. I'm actually pretty surprised. Hey, I'm congratulations, Ryan. Yeah, a, a lot of them were good movies. Like, I actually was sitting down and I'm like, hey, these are like Oscar movies that are definitely going to be nominated and are really good. What yeah. is a, what is a lot in there, of, too? What is a lot of movies in the theater for you? We're talking like six or uh, seven? Uh, yeah, it's probably more than, I think it's more than seven. So yeah, it's been a pretty decent, hey, yeah. I would say double for digits? a while, yeah, there. for a while, especially having kids, it was like one or two for the oh, whole sure. year. And it yeah, was usually yeah. like tentpole, a tentpole movie that was like mm-hmm. only in the theater. Aquaman. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely Aquaman. <laughs> Anytime I needed to go to sleep. Um, <laughs> just went to the theater and turned on Aquaman. Uh <laughs> So yeah, one of one of those usual staples of going and seeing movies is is going to Marvel movies. That has fallen off for for a little while here, where I kind of stopped going to some of them. But the uh, the Marvels is out. Captain Marvel, the Annihilator. You took everything from me, and now I'm returning the favor. light-based powers so we switch places whenever we use them strong theory you can absorb light i can see it and kamala who's kamala hi she can turn light into physical matter which i have never heard of i could totally show you no For some reason, I'm not entirely sure, Darla and my daughter Ella have started watching Marvel movies. She's kind of in the age where she can oh, I'm so sorry. She can watch them now. Yeah, and they're not inappropriate. Um, though I look at it and I'm like, I fucking, is it like, I think it's 33 movies. If you wanted to get to like, I know everything separate from the TV shows. I know everything. It'd be 33 fucking movies. Which would be more than a month if you watched one a day, and is more than three days if you fucking sat down and just watched them all back. <laughs> to They're back, working towards never a semester-long course, and they'll fucking just get that <laughs> syllabus for you. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's ridiculous. And I think I've watched like very little of the shows. I've only watched the decent shows. Um, shout out to season two of Loki. I, I enjoyed that one. Um, so yeah, I went to see the Marvels this weekend. I did rewatch Captain Marvel uh, because the. You know, the kids had not seen Captain Marvel, so they needed that 
reference to get into it. We as a family watched Miss Marvel and really enjoyed it. I actually really liked Ms. Marvel. Um, it's kind of outside of the continuity. You can go into it. It gives you what you need to know. Um, the design of it's a little bit different. We talked to Scott Pilgrim about some of the comic book yeah. stuff kind of bouncing around or whatever. It uses some of that. It has an interesting way to like represent texting each other. Like there's a lot of cool things it did differently. Um, barely any of which carry over to this movie. But um, <laughs> so the Marvels, I, I think it's getting pretty, pretty heavily mixed reviews to mostly maybe negative reviews. Uh, it's hard to tell how much of that is either one, just fatigue. Like, I feel like every Marvel thing has kind of just been ever. There's a group that's just like is tired and just goes and says it sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. the, the WWE fan base. And um, <laughs> this one in particular, having a main female cast also upsets a group of people who don't go watch it. They just go review bomb it. Um, <laughs> and then I, I think that now having seen the movie, it is kind of a, a middle of the road movie and not in a terrible way, but in a it doesn't hit a high high. It it kind of does what it needs to do. It's not three hours. It's it's relatively straightforward to watch. It's encapsulated. Um and so all in all it's like a good kind of outing, not a great outing. And I think with Marvel, a lot of people think back with nostalgia glasses to fucking yeah. years ago of movies that that you go back and watch them and they are good, but are they necessarily like Absolutely amazing, but in people's minds they were right. They were absolutely amazing the way that they remember him, and is not doing well in the box office. And and I hear a lot of excuses of why it's not doing well in the box office. But I think after like Barbie Oppenheimer, um, you know the things that we've seen this year that have done well, it's you can do well if you can get the right kind of movie out. And I guess this just isn't it. This just didn't hit right. They also um, have not been advertising for this movie very much. Like they seem to be kind of trying to crater their seems own. Like they're sandbagging movie. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and there's a there's a portion of that that the the strike has prevented what you would usually have the uptick of having like sure. you know all the actresses go around and just you know answer all the questions on every fucking the same fucking questions over and over again on every TV show and morning news and whatever assault that you would get that they're not doing, but. They didn't do that for Spider-Verse, and that movie fucking killed, mm-hmm. right? And I think they were kind of starting to run into that before Bar- Barbie and Oppenheimer. So it's like, it, it does, it's not, I'm not buying that either. I think this is just like, in principle, people kind of don't want to go see it. Like, it's just in it, you know, that's, it's just kind of where Marvel movies are at. Um, I would say the strengths of this are really Brie Larson, I think she gets to do more than she did in Captain Marvel. One of my complaints about the Captain Marvel movie, which I did enjoy, uh, is she's a little stiff. And I think it's supposed to be because she's like amnesiac kind of character. And she's like bought into this bullshit that she's being fed by the, I forget what it is, ultimate AI, whatever thing is. (laughs) Um, And so she kind of plays off stiff and it, it was a little bit weird here. She's getting to like, actually kind of like try to get to be a little bit more of a character. And I think that works better. She's still a bit stiff. Um, It wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, And I'm sure I'm going to butcher names. Imam Vellani. When have you ever done that, Ryan? I know. I'm always perfect. (laughs) Imam Vellani, who is from Ms. Marvel. She's, you know, continuing reprising her character, Ms. Marvel here. 
She's like the, she is the child. really yeah, she is really yeah. fucking good. Like I think she's got a really great future. She's really fucking good. She was standout and I think is what made Ms. Marvel really work as a TV show. Here, her ability to emote, her excitement. There are moments that are quiet, but her facial expressions can get across like the pain or or whatever of the moment. Like that elevates this movie and like actually makes it really good. If she wasn't in it, I think this would be a total like bland white toast movie, but she kind of pushes it up to a level that that does end up pulling it into being enjoyable. Um honestly, it's like I would say kind of the villain is like I think I kind of got what their thing was, but it's one of those like it's not necessarily a great villain and I feel like that's also what kind of throws it out of whack. Completely being honest, I don't think I know what the villain's name was. I'm certain they said it, and I have no fucking clue. And because it it's was one of movie. those, yeah, it was one of those aliens' names, and I missed it when they said it quickly, and then I never fucking heard it again. And that's a problem that that doesn't necessarily stick around. But they kind of they go back and explain that like Captain Marvel kind of like disappeared from the movies for a while. And I think it was because her power set was too fucking powerful. And this movie's trying to go back and be like, oh, let's give it a reason of like, what was she doing? Because we were always like, oh, Captain Marvel's off planet. And they just waved our hands <laughs> and then like moved <laughs> on. Uh, explain that after the events of the first Captain Marvel movie, she went back and just fucked up the Kree <laughs> and like destroyed their ultimate intelligence Wait, and what? has been fighting them. <laughs> yeah, she just completely fucked them up. That's but completely against so, the entire message of Captain Marvel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, hold on. In doing so, oh, it caused God. a civil war because the Kree didn't know what to do anymore because they didn't have their AI. And so they split into two factions and ended up pretty much destroying their planet. Their sun is burnt out. They're out of water and their atmosphere oh isn't breathable anymore. And so they blame Captain oh Marvel as this like ultimate annihilator of their <laughs> planet and their race. I don't know why I'm laughing at this. <laughs> were, they, were the Kree, um, what the fuck were the Kree again? Are they the golden people or are they something else? I can't remember. No, they were, I mean, you, you kind of see them in a few. Like, so Ronan from the Guardians of the Galaxies, a Kree. Oh, okay. Like gotcha. Zealot. And then, yeah. The, and they're the, Mar the like Captain fake Marvel. bad guys from Captain Marvel, right? But they're actually not right, bad guys. Right, it turns guys. out they're, they're actually good no, guys. No, the other way around. The other right. way around. The Krees were the, quote, good guys that turned out to be the bad guys, and the Scrolls oh, were the bad guys that turned out to be the bad guys. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Too many words. Okay, this yeah, makes more sense yeah, now. So many proper nouns. Okay, all right. Marvel. Yeah. So one of one of the Kree is opening portals. This, is a, this isn't one of those interesting villain ideas. She's opening portals on other planets to suck up their natural resources back to her home planet, which I, like, I vaguely am like, okay, I think I kind of get it. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, it like introduces a whole so host questions. of other questions. <laughs> yes, it does. And in fact, one of them I didn't even realize till later. And and this this is like again, my family's starting to really do me honors. Uh, by <laughs> Darla, Darla asked. She was like, "Wait, on the second planet where they soaked up all the water, uh, Captain Marvel crew, the Marvels, like they teleported away." And she's like, "We never came back to that planet." They're all dead, right? Like they got their, like they didn't close the portal. She's like they all their water got sucked up. Those people are just dead. I was like, yes, yeah. They didn't answer that. That just wasn't important to them, I guess. In the in this movie, not as important as liberating the other planets. Oh my god! I would say this is the like. It's a fun space adventure, but it doesn't reach the like comedy heights of Guardians of the Galaxy. The characters are good and memorable and they give them something to do 
it's nice that it doesn't touch on a million other things, which is what I think the first Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of nice that it was at the time refreshing that it wasn't like tied into everything else. So tough that you needed to come in knowing a lot here. You don't really. They actually pretty much just give it to you right out. Like they introduce the person. It's like, oh, hey, I'm so and so. This is what I've been doing. This is how I got my powers. And yeah. They just give you all the shit you need to know um, right up front. So I give it like a C plus B minus. I don't know. Like it's in that kind of range of like it passes and it's watchable, but it's not great. But it's also not bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, my family all they enjoyed it. and They had a good time. So they also enjoyed the Eternals. Which, as oh. watching it, was like okay, but that one really fell apart for me fast. Um, and this one's is better than the Eternals. There's a lot that's better than the Eternals. <laughs> side side note here: in watching the movies and going back, uh, I had not watched Doctor Strange: Colon. I don't remember Madness Multiverse, whatever it was, uh, because again, I was fatigued at that point, and, and I think a lot of other people were because that one also didn't rate very well and do particularly well. Um, yeah, that movie's not very good. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with that one, and and it's it it. I will say Sam Raimi did an interesting job of making that one kind of horror esque, and and that was kind of cool. Like they made Scarlet Witch scary, and for some reason Doctor Strange became a zombie thing in a way that didn't make sense to me. But whatever. Is George C. Scott in it though? <laughs> yeah, I wish. I wish. Uh, um, would have been great. The the big problem in that one that really irks me that is just the reason I want to call out is they introduce American Chavez as somehow important to opening portals so Scarlet Witch can go to a dimension where her kids that she just made up actually exist, I, I, I think. Um, what are we even talking about? Yeah. But, <laughs> are, anyway, are we talking that, about Dr. Strange's colon or are we talking about... Yeah, yeah, we're talking about inside Dr. Strange's colon. It's Dr. Strange's okay. colon. There's a whole other universe in his colon. <laughs> yes, that's where it all takes it's place. It's one of the multiverses, yeah. That's Why do important. you think that America Chavez opens up stars, you know, Star- Star- starfish Star- shape? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, her character might as well be a box with a thing in it that opens portals. They let her do absolutely nothing and just chase her around as a MacGuffin for the movie. And then it doesn't end up fucking mattering. They just, like, show Scarlet Witch that her own children are horrified of her. Her own children, she made up, are horrified of her. And then she's like, oh, and stops. Like, that's the resolution. It's a story told by an idiot full of sound and fury, (laughs) (laughs) signifying nothing. (laughs) Uh, But somehow that is important to opening up multiverses or something which then the loki tv show also does and explains differently so i have no fucking clue what's going on in the marvel universe eh, uh, and oh, also either. the marvels opens up another wormhole to another dimension and doesn't explain how the fuck that works or plays into any of these other things anyway it's the x-men one where kelsey Grammer is the beast oh kelsey Grammer! <laughs> oh my god the rumble where he like plays the grinch basically like he does all, all like the all the hair on him yeah. that's amazing. yeah he's just all hair all hair yeah. it's better hair now the graphics are better than back then but darius Emanuel grouch the third <laughs> the beast the... <laughs> you want to see a beast fucking alligator bunny play <laughs> yes uh... there we go bring it all back <laughs> Okay, wow. so so Ryan, I have I have lots of questions. So I liked <laughs> I'm a, one of the very few people in this world that liked Captain Marvel, and I only liked two Marvel movies: the first Iron Man and Captain Marvel. 
the first Iron Man because it was a you know actually like an original like concept and thing. Yeah. was an interesting movie and it was fun. And then after that, I was like, oh, they're just all doing this again and this sucks and please stop doing this. Captain Marvel I liked because I think Brie Larson is really great and because it was a movie about American imperialism, like challenging <laughs> American imperialism. And I was watching this in the theater, losing my mind. Like, holy shit, I cannot believe Disney is doing this. That is insane. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I think also like Ben Mendelsohn is always great. And, you know, he's playing the leader of the... The Cree? The yeah. space Palestinians. The, the other, he's um, the other way. Oh, the other way, sorry. Yeah, the space Palestinians. Yeah, he, the one that... <laughs> <laughs> where they like are painted as the bad guys and the evil terrorists the whole time and you realize oh actually they're just being persecuted mercilessly yeah. by all these other imperialist powers um and then you know like uh captain marvel has to realize oh wow like we've actually treated these creatures so horribly like we should actually team up with them and help to fight off their oppressors and like she has to realize that she has been a part of the problem and a part of the imperialist machine that has been creating all of this terror in the world and or in the galaxy. And, and I thought that was really incredible that like, I, I couldn't believe that Marvel had the balls to do that. And I thought, you know, uh, Brie Larson and Ben Mendelsohn were, were great. And Sam Jackson is always good. And I was like, okay, this is actually is an interesting movie. And um, it sounds like from what you're saying about the Marvels that they're trying to pivot back into pro imperialism um is that what's happening here with her like you know just like stealing water from planets and shit or is there is it is it trying to comment on the first movie or about american imperialism or is it just like a dumb marvel movie that doesn't know what it's trying to say i think it's a dumb marvel movie that doesn't really know what it's trying to say uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it yeah at the end of it 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 there is this like I do think that her destroying like everything and completely fucking up the Kree is really questionable where, yeah, you're right. At the end of Captain Marvel, you kind of have this resolution that is, yeah, like the, you know, potentially Palestinians or whatever refugee group you mm -hmm. want to kind of go to of like, okay, this is a lot harder problem than I thought. And yeah, I'm kind of been fucking it up without even realizing it. And then she goes and does something that's the same thing and fucks up like another planet as well. And then in doing so in this movie, it also fucks up another colony of scroll, another refugee colony that she has to save and get off of a planet. Mm -hmm. And so, so like everything she touches, she fucks up is kind of all we necessarily see in this now. Um, and they do kind of get to at the end, sort of this, like she's talking to the other person and being like, you don't have to, you shouldn't steal all the stuff from these other planets, like fuck them up because of your problem and then she's like, I guess I could jumpstart your son for you. And then that would start to fix things. And she does that. But it's kind of like oh, Captain Marvel just has the power to go into a son. Like that doesn't necessarily like it doesn't teach me how I can solve some kind of complex conflict. Right. Yeah. Like so it, it is that just like comic book level of our powers got entangled. How do we unentangle them? Oh, this person's planet's fucked up. Superman flies in the sun there. It's all fixed. <laughs> right. Like, it's just, yeah. yeah, it's, it honestly is just kind of at that surface level. And, and you're right. So, going back, we watched Captain Marvel again. I mentioned that. And I, I had liked it when I watched it before, but I do feel like I got even more of an appreciation for it watching it again. That I do think it is one of the better of the Marvel movies. And going back, sure, like yeah. watching, yeah, we watched Civil War again, which is one of, or not Civil War, fucking Civil War. We watched uh, Winter Soldier, <laughs> Winter Soldier. <laughs> 
uh, again. And I was like, God, I really fucking like Winter Soldier because it also similarly is talking about this, like the government's fucking you over and yeah. like they're just a cover for themselves. Like the new order is the old order. And like, it, you know, they're just trying to keep you in line and distract you from everything. And, and like all of that, like works really well in that movie too and is interesting and i kind of feel like yeah the movies that end up having a little bit of something to say and honestly their story is kind of just there like it's enough of what it needs and it doesn't have to pull in these other things and it isn't really trying really hard to set up a bunch of other things are really the ones that work well um and it's weird that this new phase they have the opportunity to kind of fucking do what they want for a little while until they figure it out but they're really trying to hammer in this like multiverse thing that's not working Mm -hmm. and there are i feel like there's so many plot threads they're just gonna drop that because like i'm like the eternals are supposed to be something i was like we will never fucking see or hear of them oh no like it didn't work they're gone everything that was set up in that movie fucking forget about it nobody talks about that space baby that's on earth that's been aborted (laughs) like nobody mentions that shit it's over we don't marvel's like all right we tried sex one time we're never doing that again we are returning (laughs) this to the most sexless movie franchise that has ever existed and we will never go back there no sex no sex on the rocks (laughs) like there was before (laughs) we're just gonna have a bunch of hot people in tight body suits doing action shit but we're not gonna have any sex we're not gonna reference any sexual shit we're just gonna be a bunch of 12 year olds with that don't know why they have boners <laughs> well it sounds like uh the marvels was not as great as captain marvel was yeah no but are not. you also you said you were recommending it i think, I think it's i don't know what i'm right i don't are know what on the I'm fence doing. about that okay fine yeah i'm you on have the to fence. pick this one, is like Ryan. <laughs> See, he's doing a me. He's pulling a me. Uh, yeah. You can't do that. That's a me. That's Johnny. Ripping your scrotum <laughs> okay, on the, here, on the here, fence here. is John's thing. Yeah. Yours, I'll right. say, Only I can John Ham myself <laughs> on a fence, yeah. okay? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I'll say like, I end, I'll end up pushing and being like, I recommend it only in that I feel like Marvel has had so many confusing flops for a while here that this is one that actually like kind of goes back to like the basic superhero shtick and it, yeah. and it's fine. Like it's the, if you're like tired of all of them and you want to just like, I just want to see my superheroes go into the sun. Like this is going <laughs> to work for you. <laughs> when you said, when you said jumpstart your son, I thought you were uh, saying S O N son. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe they are. We are back some to the sex. Sex. <laughs> Get this motor going. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, everybody. That was uh, a long ramble and a recommend for the Marvels. Uh, take from that what you will about the rest of the Marvel series. Uh, let's, let's go over to Dixon. Dixon, what do you got? What are you bringing? Yeah, so I saw a new 2023 film last night at Austin Film Society, and it's kind of stuck in my head since I saw it, and I think it's going to be kind of difficult to talk about it, so I'm going to try to do the best I can here, but um, I want to talk about it because I want to recommend it to John because I think that you would really enjoy it, and I'm interested to hear your response. So the new film that I saw, it was called Once Within a Time,
within a time. This is written and directed by Godfrey Reggio, who famously made Koyan Scotsi and other Scotsi movies after that. But that's kind of his big famous documentary that that he made that is a you know basically a silent film with a bunch of stock footage of random historical events that um kind of form a narrative as it goes along. There's no characters, there's no speaking. Um, there's a really great Philip Glass score, and you just get this um, kind of narrative uh, and story about humanity and kind of like late 20th century collapse that I, I think is really fascinating. Um, I know, John, you love that movie. Hell yeah. Um, his new movie, Once Within a Time, is not a documentary. Um, it is, it's not really scripted, but it's like a staged fiction film. It is also... There's also no dialogue. It's a silent movie, and it has an insane Philip Glass score, like Koyana Scotsi. Awesome. Um, but it does have actors and characters. Um, Mike Tyson is in it, which uh, okay. <laughs> really okay. came out of nowhere, uh, which I, I love Mike Tyson, and uh, I thought that was, that was uh, I loved seeing him on screen. Um, shout out to Mike Tyson Mysteries. Hell yeah. But uh, so it, it it's this it's almost like a music video. It's only 52 minutes long and it is this visceral experience where you have these staged scenes on screen and this, this amazing Philip glass score over everything. And it starts out with this, um, kind of garden of Eden scene and this mother nature character and these children that are sitting around. It's very playful. And then you have kind of the fall of, of man and the kind of resulting sin and and chaos that, comes from that and there are different kind of modern plagues that are discussed in this movie such as um smartphone addiction and global warming and um just war and and capitalism and a, and a lot of these things that are um you know kind of taking away the innocence of humanity and bringing us to the state where we have currently arrived as a species um but it's not it's not just a movie about the downfall of, of humanity. It also kind of tries to look forward and, and think, okay, given all of this that's happened, where do we go from here? How do we react to this and move forward as a species? Do we continue down this path that we have gone or, or do we try to change things for the better and try to you know move forward and, and achieve some sort of semblance of the the innocence that we once had that that was lost originally um it's it's hard to say too much more than that but i will say i i saw this at a theater and it was an enrapturing experience and i i really enjoyed it and i i think it's definitely worth um anybody checking it out and and watching it it's a very small time commitment and it really um it it just really kind of blew me away and, and impressed me with what um the movie was trying to do. So um it's it's in theaters now. If you're lucky, it'll be playing at an art house theater in your town. I imagine it will be streaming very soon, potentially by the time this episode posts. Um, but I definitely recommend checking out Once Within a Time. Uh it's one of my favorite movies that I've seen this year so far. Wow, that's fucking high praise. 
Damn, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I obviously, I love Koyaanisqatsi. I love Palakatsi. I enjoyed that. I haven't seen the third in the Katsi trilogy. Same. Um, but I intend to. And this sounds like uh, something that I definitely need to uh, expedite to the top of my queue that I, I definitely would want to go see. Um I'm kind of curious in terms of like engrossment uh, with a Philip Glass score, like that's obviously going to trance, like that's going to bring you in. Mm -hmm. Is it the entire way through or are there silent moments? Is there... Um, it's music pretty much over the okay. whole thing. Yeah, kind of similar to Koyana Scotsy, the music is really driving the, the narrative. Um, but it's like the visuals are so interesting as well, right? With Koyana Scotsy, you're like you're looking at you know, stock footage and stuff that it's like, um, you know, kind of elongated shots of, of things. And with this, it's, it's incredibly well edited, like one of the best edited movies I've seen in a really long time and just, uh, paces with, with the score incredibly well. And, um, it's just really beautiful to look at. I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested because when you immediately said that it wasn't like a documentary style, I was like, okay, so the editing will be much tighter. There will be like specific shots and footage within it to demonstrate points. Like I'm getting a whole sense mm -hmm. of like what I, what I'm in for and the runtime too tipped me off. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's like, does it feel like when you got out of it, did it feel like that was enough or did you want more? Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I, I imagine if there was more of it, I would be really shocked if I wouldn't have liked it because the 52 minutes I saw was great. But I thought it did exactly what it needed to do. And it was able to tell this vast, complex story and convey all of these ideas in a very small window of time because it was just very well edited. And there's a mix of there's live action footage and animation kind of mixed together into it. There's like actual animation, there's stop motion animation, there's there's different things kind of all coming together into this movie to really just you know he's almost using every film technique that he can think of to just create the best visual experience that he can man i gotta fucking see this <laughs> i don't know what else to say i figured that I'm would be like, your, oh, your reaction i gotta to fucking this. watch it um, i gotta find it <laughs> yeah um i don't know if it's still playing at afs i might i think i might have caught the last screening um but it, I'm sure it'll be online shortly. Yeah, either via streaming or Criterion will pick it up soon, I'm sure, and throw it I in. would love if, I if would, Criterion picked it up. I would yeah, buy it for yeah. sure, yeah. So, Yeah, I wonder like how movies like this that are much more about the style than necessarily you know, what people would think of as a traditional narrative, straightforward narrative, mm -hmm. in today's like streaming, and not just the streaming, but you know, YouTube, TikTok, like there's just a fucking content overload where these things kind of fall. Cause I already feel like they fell in the mm -hmm. cracks somewhat before as sort of, you know, what people deride art house movies, right. Or make fun of them, but at least those had a little bit more time to shine or their moments because there just wasn't as much stuff to compete. So you could, you could mm -hmm. see them and appreciate them. But it, to me, it almost, it, it's similar to, uh, traditional art which kind of has hit where there are the clear like i'm looking at a picture of people you know or or a vase of flowers or whatever but then you have these more abstract ones that it took time for people to even appreciate to get some of them into museums to realize what they were but even then still people don't go there 
yeah. <laughs> right to appreciate it. And I, I wonder with this, like how how to get across to people like this is also what a movie can be. Like this is also an experience you could have if you sit and just are are in it, right? It's a very different thing where you just have to sit and kind of breathe it in versus it telling you where it's going and what's happening. Yeah, that like kind of gives me so I have a few initial thoughts just based on that observation, Ryan, which is um one is I thought about pig, which is funny. Okay. Um how there's uh you know the that whole track of like classical music that has a British dude that talks about how great <laughs> it is and he talks about you know, As everyone curious. knows, yeah. classical music will, is the greatest music yeah. that has ever been composed. It will always endure, <laughs> as long as the empire endures. And, <laughs> um, yeah, there's like a bit of that. And I, I think that the more that I watch streaming movies and like streaming services grow, the, the more apparent it is that like human curation trumps like AI curation. Like AI will always lead you, any algorithm will lead you into more of what you like but curation will lead you into what you've never known. Mm -hmm. And I think about that as like, it would be nice, uh, especially even the last recommender review I talked about death row game show and how there was a director intro where the director literally just apologized for what the movie was going to (laughs) be. And that was like his intro. And I think that even that has this stroke of earnestness that like, it just, sets you up for whatever you're going to see. Like, you know that the creator at the time was having fun, but also in the present, you know that they've grown as a person. And I feel like some of these art house films could do with a mandatory intro. That's not super long, but it kind of sets the audience up. And I, I say that mostly because I feel like as we continue on into consuming more streaming services and videos from streaming services, movies, um, there's less historical context. There's more of an emphasis on how much you can watch and what you can watch and less on like, here's the creative voice behind it. Like just talk to somebody or see somebody talk about it and what it means to them. And that like, even that will nudge you into this headspace of like, Oh, I could have an opinion about this. Like I could possibly think about it in a different light and what it means to me. Like that's something that like, it sounds like this film also could represent for you. Like, that's what art's supposed to invoke is emotion and how you react to it. And it's not supposed to be that you all stand around the Mona Lisa and fucking nod that you Mm -hmm. have a moment with it. So I don't know. That's, that's my initial thoughts anyway. And uh, again, I'm going to fucking see this movie because I already know I would, but (laughs) to the average person out there, like my dad who did not like killers of the flower moon because it was three hours long specifically, that's what he cited (laughs) as the reason he didn't like it. I'm sure there are other reasons. Um, length is never the reason that people don't like movies absolutely yeah it's always something else there's something else Uh and they just use length to explain that but it it is that moment of like hey why don't you have like a a human moment where you connect with the artist behind it and you recognize that they put time into whatever this is um i want to see more of that in a streaming service if i can just make it a thing (laughs) it'd be kind of cool uh i mean criterion channel does a pretty good job of that like they oftentimes will have intros or q a's like as the special features on the the movie or like most great streaming services don't have extras that you can see on the movie and criterion channel does and i always appreciate that that you know they'll give you usually give you something they may not be what you would get on like a full collector's edition blu-ray but they'll usually give you a little piece here and there 
I just wish that like, I mean, Criterion to me is off the beaten path. Like you're already into film. You already know True, you're going to. Yeah. But like if Amazon and Netflix stepped up and were like, hey, Mike Flanagan's going to intro his series. He's not going to do it every episode, but like right. he's going to do it once or twice. Like people might be like, all right, I'll put up with a minute of somebody talking about what it could be. And then they're like, huh, mm-hmm. I thought about that. I don't know if I agree with it, but I'll go on and watch it. Um, it, it could just open the opportunity up. Yeah. Yeah. I- I think it's interesting that David Lynch has been able to sucker in uh, regular people for so <laughs> yeah. long. <laughs> because, Way to go, David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, th- that's sort of the thing that I feel like it. It you should walk away being you walk away being confused. Everyone walks away being confused, but I've, I'm fascinated. That, like regular people watched Twin Peaks for so long, the con right, of thinking yeah. there was a story there that there isn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also wonder how much it's like movies treated as escapism that most people are looking to escape into a movie, not there are other emotions you could get from a movie that might be uncomfortable or, you know, push you beyond, you know, push you to some new thoughts or, or challenge you that you're like, well, that's not why I came to watch a movie. That's not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but to open more people up to like, that's a, an opportunity. It's I feel like it's kind of the same with music. Like music is, there are so many things out there now that do explore more that you can do with music, more interesting, different, strange things. But it's like most of the populace is kind of distilled down to a few like really clear escapism, clear lyrics, clear point, mostly love story songs. Like we're just locked in on that mm-hmm. as a public yeah. and like just Taylor more Swift, more maybe. Ignoring, yeah. <laughs> the more and more ignoring tour. the sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, agree with all that. And and I think like, like, yes, it's an art house movie. There's not really plot. There are ideas that are conveyed, but there's not like characters that go all the way through and like a, a, you know, dialogue or anything like that. But I think it is a, an incredibly entertaining experience. And if it's only 52 minutes long, if you think you want to like take the plunge into something that's a little bit different, like highly recommend checking it out. I, I don't think it is you know, sometimes there are, there are art house movies that I like that I'm like, I like it and I would recommend it to people because I think it's good, but I don't necessarily know that everybody is going to really like latch on to this. With so this like movie, approachable, yeah. Yeah. With this movie, it's like, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, you know, there aren't traditional characters. It's not, didn't feel like a regular movie, but like, if you think of it like a music video and just like, okay, I'm going to go in and approach this and try to deal with the ideas that this thing is putting out and think about what it's trying to say as it's going on. I think you'd have a really good time with it. And I don't think you have to be like a film nerd to, to like this movie. So um, I would definitely recommend people check, people check it out. Also the credits are cool. Like the music keeps going during the credits and there are some cool visuals during the credits. And I would recommend if you watch it again, it's only 52 minutes long, go all the way through the end of the credits. There is a, uh, pretty funny joke that hits at the end at the very end of the movie at the end of the credits that is pretty damn good that um i would definitely recommend people uh stick it all the way out for so nice i will stick around i mean hey 52 minutes i can do it yeah it's super easy uh so yeah once within a time recommend sounds no good. no this is a refute oh Damn it. All right. <laughs> Let me just revert that. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, a, this is a very hard recommend uh, for once within a time. Go check it out. One of the best movies of the year. Damn. Again, fucking just dropping that right there. That's so awesome. I want to watch it. <laughs> uh, 
Ah, oh, fuck. Makes me want to get off this podcast right now and go watch it. Uh, also, um, Steven Soderbergh uh, produced this, so it's cool to see like a successful filmmaker being like, I like this guy who keeps making weird musical documentaries. Yeah. I'm going to put some money into this. And, I fucking uh, love it. You know, co- cool to see that people are still helping Godfrey Reggio make weird movies. So Way to go, everybody. Yeah. Godfrey speed, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, I guess that that rounds it down to me. Um, I'm going to pull a move because I just remembered a movie that I watched uh, this past Friday. I'm going to do a double recommend and go off. You know, it's it, but it's John, justified. It's script. justified. Script. <laughs> I'm going off the rails here, but it's justified. I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon yesterday. Again. Again. Nice. For the second time. And I fucking loved it again for the second time. Did you like it better the second time? I, I liked it better on the second watch. I liked it just as much because I already yeah. loved it beforehand. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I did want to give a shout out because I watched a documentary that um, I had talked with uh, Ryan and Dixon about offline at some point, And that is uh, Kanesatake, 270 Years of Resistance. I was driving my car. And I hear the news, the shooting in Oka. And that people had been there making a stand for several months. And I got very upset, of course. And I turned around, I went to Oka alone in my car. And when I arrived there, there was a barricade of uh, police officers and you couldn't go into the village. So I stood around a bit and talked to a few people, including the police. and. I just was amazed and I guess very worried and I felt it's my duty, it has to be documented by one of us, what's going to happen here. So I went back to the film board and I said, I'm changing my production. I'm going to Oka right now. Which is a documentary filmed in 1993 about uh, the 1990 Oka conflict in Canada. Um, in which a Mohawk reservation was encroached upon by the Canadian municipal government nearby to extend a golf course, a fucking golf course, onto their land. Jesus. And in doing that, the Mohawk people decided we've had enough. Um, We've been relegated to this reservation, to this spot of land. We've been told if we convert to this religion that we would be saved over the course of 270 years, they have uh, fought every kind of government that's come through to try to stake claim to any piece of their land and have slowly had it whittled away by fucking wheeling and dealing and other bullshit. And, um, this documentary is, you know, uh, a, a, a it's on the ground footage of what happened during this conflict that's collated by one of the, the members of the community and it tells the story of them standing up against the Canadian military that comes in along with the, the Mounties. Yeah. The, it's basically the Mounties. Why not? Uh, there's like a Canadian police that come in and Canadian military and both are fucking bad actors in a lot of ways, but in different ways, like Canadian police apparently doesn't give fucking shit about the Mohawk people. And they actively incited like, moments of the the town nearby Oka becomes very infuriated by the the Mohawk people standing up to it to the point where they burn an effigy and call it a savage 
Like in 1990, um, wow. it's just fucking insane watching this thing. It's a free documentary to watch on Tubi, by the way, um, as well as a few other sources where you can like rent it. But I have a Blu-ray copy I got from Vinegar Syndrome through a partner label. Oh, nice. And Sasha and I watched it right after watching the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. It's a weird choice, I know. Um, but very we sobering did. sobering experience. Yeah, a very sobering experience after. And it, it's... It, it seems like it pairs perfectly to like really fuel your activist rage with killers of the flower moon because it, you watch like actual real world events unfold. You watch interviews with military, you know, lieutenants that are talking fucking double speak in front of cameras. And you also get to watch like the rebels who go against those military, like they set up a perimeter, the military sets up a perimeter to cut off supply access to the protesting Mohawk people. And they're like, we're not cutting it off. We're still letting it through, but they have to go through two checkpoints and they have to check these things. We're also cutting off the shoreline too, because we don't know what they're smuggling in and they have all these implications about it. And then there are these two fucking journalists from like college who put tarps under the razor wire and just crawled under and are like filming in the fucking behind the scenes. And they're like, look, the military doesn't know shit about this. We're filming right now. And they show, they hard cut in the editing to the military lieutenants that are just like, uh, we haven't heard anything about that. That's not true. There's nobody behind our lines and you're just watching them be undercut and it makes them look so fucking stupid. Um, but yeah, it, it ends pretty tragically with the mohawk people being pushed off of that piece of land they're Mm -hmm. waited out like medical supplies basically become a 24-hour hindrance like people who have asthma can't get their fucking inhalers unless they cross this line and they can never cross back and that kind of bullshit um but it sparked a whole revolution in the 90s that has gotten some at least coverage and has pushed on uh the topics at hand but there's still a fucking golf course. And by the end of it, you see like people golfing in the distance and it just like, I, you know, like the sport of golf, like nothing against it. But like in this instance, I was like, come on, why'd you have to fucking put a golf course here? It's so stupid. Um, it's just an infuriating documentary. And it, I feel Man. like it pairs really well with killers of the flower moon and like exposing how this isn't a thing from the 1920s. This is still a fucking thing. Yeah. And it still happens. Um, and I, I, it was, it was a beautifully heartbreaking documentary about it. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend that. That's my, my renegade recommends <laughs> is for the kind of Satake 270 years of resistance. It was just really fucking mind opening, uh, beautiful stuff. Um, as, as, as tragic as it was. Yeah. Anyways, any questions about it? Comments? Yeah, I mean, that sounds incredible. Um, you know, it sounds like that does really pair well with Killers of the Flower Moon. It sounds like it also pairs well with the Israel-Palestine conflict that's going on right now. And like, it's, um, I, I feel like we're at a point in society right now where we need to stop being like, oh my God, this only happened X number of years ago and we were still racist pieces of shit. You know, it's just like, we're still that way now, right? And it's like, there's always a justification for it whatever whatever the conflict is you know whether it's uh manifest destiny and getting rid of american uh tribes or or whether it's like you know nazi germany or israel palestine or whatever the situation is there's all or slavery there's always a justification for like why this version of genocide or ethnic cleansing is okay right but like we keep doing it over and over and 
every generation justifies their own version of it and condemns previous generations for doing it. And it's just like, it's just so upsetting to see it currently happening in modern society and us being like, well, we're, we're better than we were 200 years ago. We don't do things like that anymore. It's like, well, you know, we don't do that as much on our homeland anymore as we used to. We still do it, but not to the same degree. But it's like, you know, we just move it somewhere else and, you know, continue to profit economically off of the uh, slaughter of a different group of people, you know? And it's like, uh, in order for the American uh, empire to keep going, we have to find groups of, of people to fuck with and take all their shit, you know? And it's just like, it's it's just so upsetting to see it continue to, to happen and maybe it moves further away from America every time or or just, you know, it's different distant parts of the globe, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, you know, Palestine, wherever. And, you know, but we just keep doing it over and over and we don't really seem to give a shit, but we all act like we're just wonderful, moral people. And, oh, oh yeah. The things that we did, you know, in the past, but we would never, we would never do that again. At least like somewhere that was like visible where people would notice it, where like (laughs) our, our media wouldn't cover it up and defend us and, and act like you were like a hateful, evil person for questioning whether we should uh, be funding uh, wars overseas to slaughter uh, innocent people. Um, But yeah, I mean, all that to say the documentary sounds fascinating. I I, I really want to check that out, but um, yeah, it just makes me, makes me think about killers of the flower moon, but it also makes me think about current events and, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, I would even say, yeah, the the things that happen further away, like I'll, the other day talking about the chocolate industry and like how fucked up like everything is there and how it's only gotten worse, even though the chocolate industry keeps promising that it's better and they're doing even more to, to make it better. Didn't, didn't Willy Wonka chocolate. fix the chocolate yeah, fixed, industry? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he took all of those indigenous people and put them in his factory. Uh-huh. I can't wait to there. see the origin story of that with <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, yes. How, how, how he like in, enslaved the local little people population and <laughs> yes, forced them exactly. to work in his factory. It's okay because yeah. they're all Hugh yeah. Grant and they're British. So oh, yeah. Oh, fuck the Brits. The we can enslave them. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. I like to think of the ideas of the the cover ups of the issues at the Wonka factory, where he's like, "Yeah, we lose, you know, some of them drown every couple of weeks, you know." <laughs> but they've been okay. trying to form a union, but we've been stomping yeah, that no, shit out. Stop that union <laughs> fast! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So I I, I recommend Kanetsutake kind of two hundred seventy years of resistance. Um, just a fantastic documentary and. Uh, a great pairing to Killers of the Flower Moon that kind of naturally occurred for me. Um, and, and it got me riled up. I want to do shit. I want to go. I went to a few protests recently and stuff. Nice. So, yeah. Um, and the the actual, the movie that I was going to bring, I could try to tie it back, but I'm not going to try to segue this, okay? That's a, <laughs> that's a heavier topic. I really don't need to do that. Uh I, I watched another movie and that was, uh, I think I mentioned I'd watched <laughs> five nights at Freddy's and I was just kind of itching for like a decent horror film. Not that, um, I wasn't <laughs> going to watch Willie's wonderland because I know that that's more schlock 
uh, with Nicolas Cage, which is fine. It's got um, Nicolas Cage. Come on, it's got to be better than the version without Nicolas Cage. Yeah, sure. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I decided, you know what? I want to watch something. Sasha had said she wanted to watch a rom-com, and she opened the Criterion channel because Criterion is known for quality. And Criterion had In the Mouth of Madness, which is not a rom-com. <laughs> uh, it's a John Carpenter film with Sam Neill. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demand of Sutter Kane's novel In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. Who's the guy that writes horror books? You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a set. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. See this? It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. <sighs> and she just saw that and was like, what is this? And she loves that kind of classic horror stuff. She loves John Carpenter. She loves the thing. Uh, she loves, they live. And she was like, what, what's going on? I was nice. like, it's a John Carpenter film. And it's got, you know, Sam Neill from Jurassic park. She said, all right, say no more. Let's watch it. Um, and it's about an insurance investigator. So hell yeah. Yes. An insurance investigator. You <laughs> know, love he double indemnity. Yeah. We love <laughs> double indemnity. Don't we folks? <laughs> we love committing it. <laughs> it's a beautiful film. Barbara Stanwyck. She's a 10 folks. Uh, I wish she was my daughter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, anyways. So in the mouth of madness, it's a 1994 film directed by John Carpenter starring Sam Neill. And, uh, it's about, um, Sam Neill is an insurance, uh, like he's a fraud verifier. He basically goes in, he sniffs out. He's Edward G. Not. Robinson from yeah, he's Double Edward Indemnity. G. Robinson from, uh, yeah, Double Indemnity. And so he goes in being Edward G. Robinson and he's just like, all right, I'm going to figure out if, um, this case brought by a publisher is bullshit. Uh, and the, the case is basically, Hey, our writer He's written a, a lot of successful books, way bigger than Stephen King. The whole movie goes to a great effort <laughs> yeah. to make sure that you know that Sutter Kane, the author, is way better than Stephen King ever will be. And his movie or his books are like fucking terrifying. And they're like, he he went missing and we need to file this insurance claim. We have no idea what happened and uh, this whole thing. So Sam Neill's character goes out to investigate that and finds out that. The town he's gone to investigate, like a town from a book that Sutter Kane has written. It is odd. Everybody in it has this like an empty town when it needs to be. And other times there's crowds that like show up and they mob. And there's a church that like stands like an obelisk. It's just this dark looming presence in the town. And Sam Neill is trying to figure out like, okay, how full of shit is this publishing company? Are they sending me out here for a publicity stunt. Is that what this is about? Am I just here to kind of say like, Oh yeah, Sutter Kane, he's gone completely insane and blah, blah, blah. And is that going to kind of fall back on them? But it becomes quickly this story of like, okay, what's reality and what's not. And how impressionable is a medium? Like the book that Sutter Kane, the books that Sutter Kane writes have a clear power over people and it like corrupts them and it makes them evil. And they follow these different words and texts and like 
it becomes cultish and you're trying to figure out the entire time, like, is he actually just becoming delusional? It starts in a, like an insane asylum and Sam Neill is locked away and the framing devices, this guy comes to ask him what his experience with Sutter Kane's books are and all of this stuff. And that's how you get the whole story sort of framed that way. Um, really this movie just John Carpenter flexing again that he can do some really fucking wild shit with practical effects. And he sets up a lot of really cool set pieces, like certain parts of the the scenes will break through with like, uh, it, like a wall will bust open and there's text on the other side, like a big book. It's like you're busting out of the pages of it. Other scenes are like monsters that are all puppeted and they're just these horrific creatures that don't make any logical sense, but they're unsettling to see. And there are other parts where you're stuck in like an infinite loop in the darkness of like a night road. It reminded me of some of the shots that I've seen in like David Lynch films and that kind of thing. Mm. It conjures dreams and nightmares in a really tangible way. Um, and at the center of it is Sam Neill trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And eventually kind of relenting to, the fact that like he's just too far gone in this psychosis and he has no idea how to process what's going on and is trying to like grasp at whatever he could to, to ground himself. I, we were both fucking compelled, like from the start of it, Sasha and I were trying to figure out what was going on. There were parts that were really disturbing, like old people talking with children's voices and like other pieces of it that have these like, um, prosthetic creatures coming in from the darkness and like chasing down Sam Neill and people gaining superhuman strength and just chucking people through walls and other shit like that. That's like, Holy fuck. What is, what is all of this? Um, I wouldn't say that the story is really well put together. It's kind of messy, uh, in, in my opinion. And I, at the end of it, I still wasn't entirely sure what was trying to be gained from it other than like, this is, kind of the influences I see it as like an extension of they live where there's like an extensive influence that pop culture and media can have on mass audiences and how it can cause like hysteria and communal delusion and that kind of stuff. And so I found it fascinating from that perspective, but at the end of it, I can't really tell you what Sutter Kane wanted or what like the villains, the, there's like other demonic forces that are in it, what they actually want other than invading the world with their thoughts. Um, it really seems like more of a discussion piece than like a, you're going to watch it and you're going to understand immediately what's happening and when. Um, but I, I loved it. I loved the journey. It was great. Uh, in, in my opinion, I, I had a fantastic time with it and Sam Neill just, he just goes all out for it. Um, and this is nice. after Jurassic Park. All right. Jurassic Park's 93. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A year later. Yeah. Yeah. So like this Sam is, Neill just kind of giving it all here. This is uh, Event Horizon Sam Neill where he's just yeah, all in. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I also watched a movie with the kid from Jurassic Park in the same week and that was called Star Kid, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for not telling us about Star Kid. You're welcome. <laughs> um, it, that sounds really interesting. I So I've seen a handful of Carpenter films. I've not seen all of his works, but I pretty much always enjoy movies that I've seen. Um, I didn't love Escape from New York. It's like, okay, but I didn't really kind of understand why people love that movie. But other than that, it was like Halloween, The Thing, They Live. Like, you know, I've, I've seen a, a lot of his stuff that I've really enjoyed. And I've always heard mixed things about In the Mouth of Madness. And 
I've been intrigued to check it out, but I haven't gotten to it yet. And there's there's some other Carpenter movies I haven't seen too. Like I need to see the, the Fog and and some mm-hmm. other things like that. But um, how do you feel like it stacks up against other Carpenter films that you've seen? I mean, it's lower for me than They Live and The Thing. Um, in terms of like Halloween, I feel like it's even below that. Uh, it, it's really creative, and it's John Carpenter getting to do some fantastic things with practical puppets and effects. Um, and I felt like it was much more experimental and him kind of playing around with like, what if I had the rights to like a Stephen King book and like, how far could I take that? Hmm. Um, but yeah, like I haven't seen too much of Carpenter either. Uh, this is kind of towards the lower part of my ranking, but I think as I continue to see more of his movies, especially in a like more contemporary, like when I get to escape from LA and that kind of stuff, yeah, I think this will rise. I haven't above. seen that one. <laughs> yeah, this will this will probably rise above those and be just its own kind of caliber film. I think it would be more interesting to pair it with a Stephen King book, like a Stephen King adaptation. That's not The Shining by Kubrick. Like mm-hmm. you're you're gonna set yourself up for failure there. But if you like pair it with something else, um, it might be interesting to observe. So yeah, that's kind of where it's it sits in my rankings. Ryan, have you, you haven't seen this, right? He- no, I haven't seen it. Carpenter kind of hits a down, like he he his career kind of has gone slower, yeah. and this is right in that window of memoirs of Invisible Man, which I brought up when we were talking about the Invisible Man movie. <laughs> so it's like yeah. technically in that canon, but not and questionable with Chevy Chase. Um, and this there there it kind of goes down. Like Escape from L.A. is like, what have you got more of Escape from New York? Um, okay like did i want more and yeah so i'm like he kind of drops off i think so i haven't seen this but it's been on my short list because i i feel like it comes up in that kind of cult status level um which like they live does as well but it's clear like even just like looking at it that i'm like they live is better Mm-hmm. Um, and then just really has a lot going for it. So yeah, it's, it's been in my list to like to watch, but I just, for whatever reason, just kind of keep not getting around to it. Yeah. There's certain parts of it that don't feel as clean cut as they could, or if it was given more time, would it know what to do with it? Like that's kind of the vibe I got from some of the pacing and the set pieces was like, they show you something and they immediately move on. And I can't tell if it's because Carpenter had really cool ideas for each of these moments and not really a keen sense of how to tie them together. Or if it really was the case that like, he just sort of had this idea and was like, I just want to try these things out and go through it and we'll see how it goes. Um, But I felt like there could have been more time invested into character, character relationships, kind of like fleshing out, how they might show up in this delusion and how your mind might play with reality. Um, as it stands though, just a cool practical and technical display is, is what it, I, I feel it, it results in. Interesting. General Carpenter kind of yeah. it, like Halloween is his big hit. And I would say mm-hmm. the one that's like most approachable to a general audience and the, mm-hmm. obviously the most known to a general audience, but I feel like everything else that is his even that's the really good things kind of there are some weakish points to them and to like to most audiences they're like a pass like they just don't catch them because even like they live in the thing are like they're really great and they're really interesting but they're almost like a little too much of a concept for people or a little too weird for a lot of people like big trouble in little china is a great example of like being too weird for too many people mm-hmm. 
um but good in its own right i think like it's its own thing yeah most important question do they have to pay out on the insurance claim no they don't even get back to that i won't say why (laughs) i won't say why (laughs) but they justify it in a way You didn't see it coming, Keys. I yeah. was right behind you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> they do have to use dictaphones. <laughs> but yeah, so there you go. In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, I would recommend it. Um, cool. Yeah. John recommending two unrelated movies this week. Two completely unrelated movies. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, that will, I think, draw things to a close. So we have a shrug recommend for Marvels from Ryan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, really fine. selling you on it. It's, it's amazing <laughs> to me that we're at the point where Marvel is just like, I don't know, we'll call it Marvel. Like, it's just... <laughs> like, yeah, they just gave up. Gave yeah. a fucking name. Like, whatever. It's a Marvel movie. You're going to go fucking see it. You you know you're going to go fucking see it, you fucking piece of shit. Like, what are you, you going to do? Uh, not see it? We're going to call it Marvels, and you're Marvels. just going to go, and you're going to like it. They were called Marvels it, before. Ryan yeah. knows. He's, he's, no, he's restraining. Say, in the, I was, no, I'm going to say, in the comics, they created Captain Marvel in the Marvel Universe strictly as a copywriting thing. Like, they were like, oh, right. our thing is Marvel, and we don't even want anyone else to be distracted by it, so we're going to put Marvel on our cover. Uh-huh. Because Shazam used to be called? Because it, ca- Yeah, because it was Captain Marvel. Now we know Shazam was, was in the comics, and DC had acquired those comics and was using that, and they didn't want it. <laughs> they were trying to fight the copyright, so they're like, if we put Captain Marvel on something, then we can go to court and have an argument. Just goes to show no one won. copyright always <laughs> fuels artistic vision, everybody. It's uh, really a uh-huh. helpful aid when it comes to... And thus Shazam spawned Shaq's movie career. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And some weird uh, Mandela effect for Sinbad. (laughs) Why not? Um, yeah, so we have, uh, as well, the, what is the, the once within a time, once within a strong recommendation for once within a time. It's really fucking good. Uh, you should check it out. Once within a time, everybody, uh, that's a strong recommendation as opposed to the shrug recommendation for Marvels. Um, and then we have, uh, I would say strong recommendation for Kanasatake, 270 years of resistance and a, I will say a recommendation for in the mouth of madness. I, you know, it's a John Carpenter film. It's one of the lower tier for me, but I still really enjoyed it. I had a fun time. Heard that our previous guest, Eric, did not have as much of a good time watching it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that that balances out. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that works. So there you have it, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Recommend or Refute at Afterthoughts. I have been your host, John Garcia, with me as always. Ryan King. Yeah, it wouldn't be an episode if John or I didn't try to break the rules or stay on the <laughs> fence right. about something. Or, One of us know. has to be a maverick <laughs> renegade with a 44 Magnum, most powerful handgun in the world. Blew your head clean <laughs> off. I would say I do break the rules occasionally, but it's always like I watched the remake of this movie and I want to talk about, but it's like there makes sense when I break the rules. When you people break the rules, it's just like mass chaos, chaos. just just ignoring the rules entirely. That's right. So we're talking about a Tom Brady versus a not Tom Brady breaking of the rules is what I'm understanding here. <laughs> oh, what, what are we talking about? Deflate gate versus... Yeah, who's uh, the Belichick what? in this situation? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Deflate gate versus bounty gate. Is that what we're talking about <laughs> That's here? exactly what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I live by bounty law. I'm just is- deflating <laughs> the balls a little bit. You guys are putting bounties on opposing players and trying <laughs> yes. to kill them. It's escalating, everybody. It's escalating. There are too many gates. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Of course, and that, that voice that you heard that is talking about bounty and deflate gate. Michael Dixon, thanks for putting up with our bullshit. <laughs> Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.